Welcome to the Wild West podcast, where today I'm excited to be joined by fellow Chronicle journalist Curtis Alexander. Curtis covers California environmental issues, and he's done a lot of work on water politics, wildfires, and Yosemite. So I wanted to sit down with him and unpack this new report that supports the age-old idea to drain Hetch Hetchy Valley in Yosemite and turn it into basically another Yosemite Valley, this big outdoor playground. It's an issue that's been ever-present in California for the past century, really, since San Francisco first built a dam across the mouth of the Hetch Hetchy Valley and turned the valley into a reservoir. So just recently, a local organization leading the movement to drain the valley released this economic analysis showing that Hetch Hetchy, if it were to be drained and allowed to return to a natural state, could become this massive outdoor tourism destination and generate something like $178 million per year in consumer spending and consumer surplus. The report even goes so far as to suggest that the grand total value of Hetch Hetchy is in the ballpark of $100 billion. I've had people say, what's better than Yosemite Valley? And the answer is two Yosemite Valleys. Yeah. So you might have some of the traffic and some of the hordes of people who go to Yosemite Valley now instead going to, to Hetch Hetchy Valley. So it might take a load off the infrastructure and the stressors that you see now in Yosemite Valley. So what are we waiting for, right? Let's pull the plug on the dam and open up this amazing new playground. Well, it's not that simple. Hetch Hetchy is essentially San Francisco's main water supply, and rerouting that water to a new storage facility would be risky, it'd be expensive, it's kind of a political non-starter. And when this issue was put to public vote in San Francisco in 2012, voters overwhelmingly rejected it. And then last year, the California Supreme Court refused to hear a case on the issue. And yet, this proposal and this debate just keep bubbling up. John Muir fought the creation of the reservoir more than 100 years ago, the dam was highly controversial at the time, and it basically jump-started the modern conservation movement in the United States. The Sierra Club was essentially founded on this issue, and over the years, celebrities and politicians have come out in favor of draining the valley, and it just kind of keeps the issue alive. The issue, this debate, just won't go away. It boils down to this. Whether in the age of epic droughts and climate change, we believe that the valley is worth more to us as a reservoir, or whether we think there's more to be gained from returning the land to a more natural state and allowing the world to visit and enjoy it. It's a fascinating subject, I think. So I was grateful to be able to sit down with Curtis and chop it all up because he's very knowledgeable about this issue and he's able to see it from a bunch of different perspectives. We'll get to my conversation with Curtis Alexander in just a moment, but first this brief message. All right, we're back. Let's talk Hetch Hetchy issues with Chronicle reporter Curtis Alexander. How's it going, Curtis? It's going well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. I wanted to bring you in today to talk about this kind of issue that we keep having around what we should do with Hetch Hetchy Valley. And I, the reason that I wanted to talk about it is because I just find the issue fascinating. We've kind of been having this debate over the course of the last century, more or less. And it's entered these different stages and these different iterations, but it hasn't ever really gone away. And so before we get too deep into it, I wanted to just ask about your experience in Hetch Hetchy personally. Like, you've explored the valley. I mean, I've hiked and backpacked around the valley. So it's a place that people can go and, and, and recreate and play today, but it's kind of limited. 
Yeah, Hetch Hetchy is a great place. It, it doesn't have the crowds that you see in the rest of Yosemite National Park, like in the valley and in Tuolumne Meadows. So you can go there and not experience the crowds. You can go there pretty much year-round in the spring and in the fall. It's not snowed in. It's at a lower elevation, so it's not as cold, although it can get pretty hot there in the summer, as you know. And people have compared its beauty to that of Yosemite Valley. It's got the parks, signature granite domes, and the towering waterfalls. And like you said, there's some great trails at the dam that you can take into the high country of Yosemite. So it's really a great place to visit. Yeah, it's incredible how the... Last time I went was three years ago and did a two-night backpacking trip to some of the alpine lakes above, kind of above the reservoir. Which lakes did you go to? Vernon Lake was one, and we went to another one, and then we came down uh, to Rancheria Falls and camped there for a night, too, and then made our way back along uh, kind of the rim, you know, like the rim trail back to the dam. Yeah, that's a beautiful hike. And like you incredible. said, at, up, at, up at Rancheria Falls, you've got that water, which flows down from Mount Lyle and Mount Dana, and those are some of the tallest peaks in the park, over 13,000 feet, so it's uh, a great landscape. It was rad, and that was maybe the most exciting part to me was um, actually drinking the water, I mean, in a water through a water purifier, but drinking the water straight out of Rancheria Falls and just like, you know, this is the what this is like the Hetch Hetchy, the the you know iconic Hetch Hetchy water that we drink in San Francisco, but getting it like basically right at the source. It was pretty cool. It's like liquid gold. Yeah, totally. But when I was there, you know, it was interesting because you can, like you were saying, you can really see how this was a valley that existed at one point, and now it feels. I just had, I just kind of got a different vibe around it because it's not easy to hike around. There's not even a trail around basically half of it. You couldn't really put a trail there. It's these sheer granite walls for the most part. What have, what have you done there? You, you said that you've been on the lake one time, right? Yeah, I've actually gone out with the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, which operates the municipal water supply there out on the lake. And uh, I don't think boats are usually allowed on the lake because it's drinking water, but they've got some electric vehicles and they need to make repairs at the dams and move around. And I've covered water as one of my beats for the Chronicle for a while. So that was a great experience out on the lake is one of the guys who works for the water district told me you've got a lake and you've got a beautiful valley. So you've got Yosemite Valley or a valley like Yosemite, but you've also got a water source. And yeah. that's been their talking point for years. Right. Was it a trip being on the reservoir? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, just looking up at the at the domes and the waterfalls, it's, it's beautiful. Um, there are a lot of reservoirs in California, so... Um, it's a little bit different than other reservoirs because you're in Yosemite National Park, mm -hmm. but uh, it's a great experience. But like you said, there aren't really trails through the valley like you get in other parts of the park. And even the rim trail, which you were talking about, is sort of carved into the north rim yeah. on the granite cliffs and um, feels a lot different. Like you said, it's what, a 15 or 16 mile curvy road off of the main road down to get there. and. Um, there's not much down there. You're not going to find a ranger station or visitor centers or restaurants or motels or yeah. a Starbucks even like you find in Yosemite Valley. Yeah. And that's what makes this proposition, it's one of the things that makes this proposition to, you know, quote unquote, restore the valley so interesting is, you know, trying to envision what would actually happen if the water weren't there and we... Uh, you know, built, installed, like some level of interest, infrastructure there for people to go visit. So that's what we're talking about today. I guess before we get into 
the latest developments in the story, I just wanted to ask, I thought we should cover some basic history of how this came to be in the first place. So can you tell us a little bit about how this actually came to be? Sure. I mean, first off, San Francisco is very, very lucky to be in possession of Hetch Hetchy water. It's very pure water. It doesn't need to be filtered like most municipal water supplies. It's gravity fed from the Sierra Nevada to San Francisco, so it avoids the large pumping costs that are generally associated with moving water long distances. And it provides enough water for 33 communities across four counties, including the city and county of San Francisco. The story of how San Francisco got this water is fairly long, and it's got a lot of turns <laughs> and twists, but I think the short story is basically that back in the 1800s, coming out of the gold rush, San Francisco was a booming town, and it didn't have enough water. It used to get its water from local wells and streams, and with the population growing, that just couldn't accommodate the growth. So the mayor of San Francisco around the turn of the century was a guy named James Phelan. He was a banker. He sent one of his, he sent one of his deputies up to the Sierra Nevada to find a new water source. And back then, to claim water, all you had to do was stake your water right in a place where nobody else had a water right. So the city water engineer went up high on the Tuolumne River. Um, he went above where other landowners had water rights and he registered a right in Hetch Hetchy Valley. And it was curious too, because he actually, on the forms, he put the name of the mayor and not the name of San Francisco. Right, because part he of the scam. Exactly, he didn't <laughs> want to draw attention to the fact that yeah. San Francisco was claiming this water source. And he literally just goes up and like staples it to a tree. Yeah, right? that's the story. He yeah. had some mark and he put it on a tree. And I think that tree might still be there under oh, the water. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure, but... Um, it didn't take long before people found out this secret. San Francisco's grand plan, of course, was to dam the river and send the water 167 miles to San Francisco. And um, there was a lot of resistance. Once the landowners who were downstream, they were scared that San Francisco was gonna take all their water. And then you had environmentalists, which like you said, for the past 100 years have been angry that this water or this valley became a supply of water for a coastal city, including John Muir, who spent the latter half of his life fighting this proposal. Um, of course, we know San Francisco ultimately got permission to build the reservoir in Hetch Hetchy. Um, I think the earthquake in 1906 and the fire that burned down most of the city helped win sympathy for San Francisco. Right. So, so then when this issue came up in Congress, um, the Raker Act, which basically gave the city permission to build or to build a dam on federal land. Congress passed it. And then in 1913, President Woodrow Wilson signed it into law. Yeah. And so it puts San Francisco in this interesting position as being this municipality that has this massive reservoir of like pristine water that's stashed in a national park. And so over the years, the issue had kind of bubbled up again and again. It's never really gone away. I think Ronald Reagan's interior secretary, you know, suggested in the 1980s that draining Hetch Hetchy wouldn't be the worst thing, which kind of like gave it a little bit of new life. And then uh, 20 years ago was when this group Restore Hetch Hetchy in Berkeley 
was founded and their kind of sole mission is to bring awareness to this issue and to, you know, quote unquote, restore the valley to its natural state or however you want to think of it. And so, but, you know, but even in the last decade, like there have been some significant movements on this issue in the public sphere. So I think that starts roughly in 2012 when this was a ballot measure that San Franciscans could vote on. And the idea was basically just to vote uh, to spend like $8 million of taxpayer money to just fund like a feasibility study about whether it were even possible to drain the valley and create a new storage facility in a way that wouldn't uh, have any negative effects on the water that, that we receive in San Francisco. And that was voted down. <laughs> it's pretty clear that people weren't interested in it. It was like 75 to 25 or something like that. Yeah, that measure wasn't even close. The yeah. city was overwhelmingly for keeping their water supply. Yeah. And it was interesting, though, to go back and look at some of the ways that that... One of the things that I keep returning to with this issue is just how it's framed. Who You know, whoever is discussing it. Like, on the one hand, you have the uh, environmentalists, the advocates for draining the reservoir who say, this should be possible. We should be able to build a new storage facility downstream in a place that is sort of less iconic than Hetch Hetchy Valley, and we can stash all of San Francisco's water there, and we can do it even in a more efficient way than we do now with this surface storage in Hetch Hetchy. What's the problem? Let's at least explore it. And then you have the other side of it, which is the city of San Francisco and the people who receive the water who look at this and say, you're taking our water, you're draining this amazing reservoir, that's insane. It's, it's interesting, in reporting the story, it was interesting to kind of hear those two voices. Like, on some level, they're not really talking about the same thing. Yeah, I think you're right. I think both sides have good points, and you listen to both sides, and you think they're right when you listen to them. I do, in fact. It's funny you say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we haven't seen another dam built in a national park since Hetch Hetchy was built. And the National Park Service put in a number of protections following the construction of Hetch Hetchy to make sure the Grand Canyon or Yellowstone or any other park didn't become the site of a water source for cities. So it's not like people are supportive of having this water source in a beautiful, iconic spot, as you put it. It's just that it happened. It happened more than 100 years ago. And there's a lot of people that rely on that system. I mean, we're talking about 3 million people almost who get their water from Hetch Hetchy. And we're talking about a Bay Area economy that's worth something like $800 billion a year. So those, it's hard to go back in time. And uh, I think maybe if we could, things would be different, but uh, it is hard. Yeah. So this is a totally unfair question, but do you think that this could actually be done? Do you think that we can kind of have our valley and drink our water too? You know, do you think that we could actually pull off something like what Restore Hetch Hetchy is proposing in a, you know, which is this massive public, would have to be this massive publicly financed infrastructure project that moves a ton of water from one place to the next, creates a new reservoir or storage facility, and then actually delivers on this promise to bring this really cool like outdoor destination to the world? That's a good question. I think that I think that technically it's possible you could build a new reservoir somewhere and find a spot and it could be as big as Hetch Hetchy and you could also turn to other water sources which Restore Hetch Hetchy has advised on. But I also know how hard it is to build new reservoirs in this age. I mean, there have been people all across California from both 
the urban community and the agricultural community who have wanted water for decades and they've been trying to get new dams out of the gate. And because of the price tag, because of the environmental impact, and because most of the good spots on rivers where you can get the water are already taken, there's just not, it's just hard to build a new dam. Yeah. That's a big question that comes up over and over again is, uh, where would this <laughs> new reservoir be built exactly? Is there just a ton of land on the Tuolumne River that is going unused where we could create this massive thing? Like, of course, not really. Yeah, that's part of the problem. It's not their land. And sure, if they could just take somebody's land and build a reservoir and not have to worry about environmental laws, it'd be a different story. Uh, people have talked about getting the SFPUC to use the two lakes up above Hetch Hetchy, which they manage, hmm. try to expand those. They're very small, but they could be expanded. And then, of course, there's the Don Pedro Reservoir, which is run by the Modesto and Turlock Irrigation District and shared with San Francisco. There's been talk that San Francisco could try to, to coax these irrigation districts to enlarge that to enlarge that reservoir. It's huge, and it could be a lot bigger. Yeah, that's what is kind of looming in the background of this conversation is this massive kind of tangle of water politics in California that you don't hear about when you just hear about the proposal to bring back this beautiful valley. Yeah, everybody wants more water. Yeah. And it is technically possible to create more water, but with everybody wanting more water, there's just a lot of straws and um, not enough water. After this ballot, back to the, the most recent history, after the ballot initiative failed in 2012, uh, Restore Hetch Hetchy filed a lawsuit to try to keep this, you know, enthusiasm alive. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, they pretty much weren't going to stop just because the city decided that, or city voters decided that they didn't want to take down the dam. So, like you said, they filed a lawsuit, and their argument was that San Francisco was violating the California Constitution. The Constitution requires reasonable water use. And although the parameters of what constitutes reasonable water use are very, very vague, they said that because they were taking water from a national park, that wasn't reasonable. Well, what happened was the courts basically shot down their argument. Um, the courts basically ruled that the federal government had made a decision to allow the dam on federal land so that the federal authority superseded the state's power. And Restore Hetch Hetchy challenged that in appellate court. The appellate court shot it down. And I think it was last year that the Supreme Court decided that they would not hear the case. So now they're pretty much out of options as far as I can see. Yeah, that was what, so that brings us up to why we're talking about this now, which is because this new report, this new economic analysis came out that was commissioned by Restore Hetch Hetchy. And it basically is trying, it's sort of, to me, what it interested me about it was it's kind of planting the seeds for maybe a new approach to this issue which is saying this is how much this could be worth if we were to, you know, open ourselves to the possibility of uh, bringing the valley back or, you know, however you want to however you want to phrase it. So that was what I thought was interesting about it is it's a little bit of a new approach and I don't know if where that goes exactly, but at the very least maybe it gives lawmakers like something new to consider or something to talk about because the numbers in it are staggering. It's hard to ignore a report that says hey, if we were to change this natural feature, 
we could be looking at tens of billions of dollars in consumer spending and consumer surplus over the course of it's really kind of an infinite amount of time. I mean, there's no like set future date. There's no time frame or parameters. And that's one of the things that makes the report difficult. But when you first heard about this report, what was your initial thought or what were your initial questions that you were wondering about? I think my initial thought that this was a little too late because the issue had already been settled in courts Mm -hmm. and it was too little of a case to get anybody to change their minds. There have been past reports that have cited the economic benefits of removing the dam. In fact, a lot of dam removal projects that have taken place in California, albeit they're much smaller dams that don't serve as large of areas as the Bay Area, those projects have also cited the economic benefits of not having a dam. And um, the one take home I got in this is it really pinpointed, as you said, some numbers. I think it was something like $170 million a year of economic activity would be generated through recreation in Hetch Hetchy. Yeah. And the one question I had, I didn't read the report as thoroughly as you did, is are they talking about that money coming if Hetch Hetchy Valley were to be developed like Yosemite Valley with all the amenities and the tourist attractions and a road right down into the valley where tour buses come and so forth? That's my understanding, yes. Uh, so Hetch Hetchy Valley is a lot smaller than Yosemite Valley, but the the way it was put to me was that infrastructure development that is proportional to Hetch Hetchy is what they are assuming with this number, which is $178 million in economic uh, activity generated per year. So the short answer is yes. It's assuming that there is, you know, that there are gift shops and hotels and roads and trailheads and all those things in the valley. What's interesting about the report is it solely points to the benefits of this potential restoration. It doesn't get at any of the costs or any of the delays or any of the challenges of doing it. So it allows us to kind of make this cognitive leap to a future that would just take so many moving pieces to align in order to actually come to fruition. So a common question that I got from readers after this report came out was, how long would it take for the valley to actually become a place where you could go again? Like, it's just been soaking for a century. Like, what does it actually look like under there now? Would it ever actually become a place that people would want to go, or would it just be some crazy mud flat now? That's a really good question. <laughs> I think at one point there were some buildings down there, wasn't there? And they've been flooded and submerged. I don't know. There's probably stumps of trees, things like that. Surely, yeah. Um, certainly there'd be a lot of mud. Yeah. And eventually there'd be regrowth. Yeah. I mean, nature heals itself pretty quickly. Yeah. But that was so when I kind of pushed the author of the the main author of the study. Like, what kind of time frame are we talking about? And, the, you know, what he, in his estimation, if we pulled the plug on the dam tomorrow, he thinks it would take a couple of decades before any of this was really restored to a state that would be appropriate for people to use in some way. And then, of course, like, that doesn't take into account planning, like, you know, any of the planning or development stages for putting real infrastructure down there to serve the people who might visit it doesn't take into account like what kind of pressure on the limited infrastructure that serves Hetch Hetchy now would come if you had this spike in visitors, you know, that went from, I think Hetch Hetchy gets about 44,000 visitors today. 
let's say that goes up to a million visitors. You know, 20% of the people, 20 to 25% of the people who visit Yosemite National Park go to Hetch Hetchy Valley. The road to Hetch Hetchy is like a one-lane road at certain points. You have to, like, pull over to let people by at certain points. Uh, the, there's, like, two, I think maybe two or three, like, small parking lots there. There's nothing there. The idea that, oh, this would just be wide open and, like, millions, hundreds of thousands, millions of people would visit is kind of nuts to think about. It would just have such this kind of cascading effect to the the surrounding infrastructure that I can't really imagine that infrastructure being able to sustain that kind of use. That's a really good point. On a positive note, though, I could see, I've had people say, what's better than Yosemite Valley? And the answer is two Yosemite Valleys. Yeah. So you might have some of the traffic and some of the hordes of people who go to Yosemite Valley now instead going to, to Hetch Hetchy Valley. So it might take a load off the infrastructure and the stressors that you see now. That's one thing that, uh, again, was not clear in the report, whether they had accounted for that kind of siphoning off of visitorship to Yosemite Valley, or if they were just basing their visitation projections for Hetch Hetchy on top of Yosemite Valley. So, you know, Yosemite Valley sees on average like 4 million visitors per year, or Yosemite National Park sees about 4 million visitors per year. Most of those people go to Yosemite Valley. Would we just be adding another million and a half or whatever on top of that who are now going to Hetch Hetchy, or would there be some kind of, you know, would they sort of split the difference? That's a good question. Yeah, it's it's unclear. One thing that I thought was fun that a couple readers sent to me is uh, a couple readers wrote in that they glad they they identified themselves as environmentalists and they said that they were glad that Hetch Hetchy is flooded because they wouldn't want to see it become another Yosemite Valley like overrun with tourists and traffic and you know maybe overbuilt. Um, and one wrote to me. Draining the reservoir and commercializing Hetch Hetchy must be the craziest idea yet. John Muir, if he were alive today and encountered the weekend traffic jams in Yosemite Valley, would likely propose building a dam on the Merced River to flood that valley and return it to its natural state. (laughs) I just thought that was a fun observation. I think there's probably some truth to that. I think that, you know, what we've seen with Yosemite is maybe not what the people who created the national park had envisioned for it. Yeah, it gets so much traffic. I mean, it's one of the most visited spots in the national park system. Right now, they're trying to experiment with new parking lots, new shuttle services, all kinds of things to try to reduce the impact on the trees and the rivers and the natural resources of the park. You know, some of the more compelling arguments to me in favor of at least exploring the idea of draining Hetch Hetchy and trying to create a new place uh, came from one of the sources I interviewed for this story. His name's Michael Hanneman. He's a um, professor in resource economics at UC Berkeley. And this is what he told me. I'm just going to read you a quote real quick. He said, you can't create a second Yosemite no matter what the science is. You can't create a second Grand Canyon. So this paper, meaning the report that just came out, argued that as time passes, as areas become urbanized, as natural resources become developed, the real scarcity is going to become these outdoor experiences, and those will become our va- and those will become more valuable over time and we'll never come up with a substitute for them. And so in a way, Hetch Hetchy represents this idea. There used to be plenty of space in Yosemite, but now Yosemite's congested, and science can't create a second Yosemite except in the form of, say, restoring Hetch Hetchy. That's the kind of logic and intellectual concept into which this story is unfolding now. Interesting. That's what you were saying about any time you listen to one of these arguments, I find myself like leaning in favor of that position. Yeah, that's absolutely true. 
I'm just thinking out loud now about how much San Francisco would have to do if this vision of draining Hetch Hetchy were to come to fruition. I mean, I'm just thinking last year or two years ago, the city, well, the city has been trying to diversify its water portfolio for a long time. Mm. They get 85% of their water from the Hetch Hetchy area and only 15% from other sources. So you're looking at finding a lot of water to try to fill that huge gap. And a couple of years ago, the city tapped an aquifer along the coast and started blending some of the Hetch Hetchy water with groundwater. Mm -hmm. So today there's a fraction of people in San Francisco that get this blended water, which does taste a little bit different than the pure Hetch Hetchy water. So it's those types of things that the city's gonna have to do more of if this vision were to become a reality. I mean, we could look at conserving more water. We could look at a possible desalination plant. Mm -hmm. We could look at more water recycling, which yeah. the city has begun to do, but people say they haven't done it fast enough. And we would expect the city to be buying more water, which is very expensive now from other urban districts or agricultural districts. So that's a lot of water to get. And um, it's hard just not to think of these obstacles when you think about the reality of, um, or the possibility of restoring Hetch Hetchy. That's right. That was why I wanted to have this conversation with you today is because I think it's really easy for people to imagine quickly what a restored Hetch Hetchy Valley could look like. Everybody has kind of a fanciful romantic idea of what it could look like. And I think what's lost in the conversation is just how messy and complicated of a process this would actually be if if it were to even be approved. If people, if we even wanted to do it, if everybody were on the same page and wanted to do it, it would still take an unbelievable amount of work and planning uh, and development to pull it off. And it's interesting, like you said, the city was able to make its case to voters back in 2012 when they successfully argued for the defeat of initiative that would have required the city to come up with a plan for draining the reservoir. So they made some good arguments. They spent a lot of money. And I think a lot of people did realize how complex a project it would be to replace the existing water system. Yeah. And yet, I have a feeling that this won't be the last time either of us talks about this or reports on it. I just don't get the sense that it's an issue that's going to go anywhere. Yeah, Yosemite, like you said, is just one of those things that conjures up so much natural beauty in our imaginations. And just thinking about having more of that is something we're going to always continue to think about. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming in, Curtis. This is great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks very much to Curtis for taking the time to come on the podcast. If you want to keep track of what he's working on, follow him on Twitter at Curtis Alexander. That's Curtis with a K. If you want to follow what I'm up to with California Travel, I'm on Twitter at Greg R. Thomas. Or if you've got questions for me or suggestions for who I should bring on the pod, email me at gthomas at sfchronicle.com. Wild West is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you like us, please throw us a rating and a review. See you next time. <laughs>